Brandon Marshall. Noah Syndergaard. I'm Henrik Lundqvist. I'm Jamal Adams. World Series champion, Tino Martinez. Two-time Olympic gold medalist and World Cup champion, Tobin Heath. And you're listening to Danielle McCartan. On 60 Minute Overtime. On WRPR. www.prosportsrundown.com. At Coach McCartan. Facebook.com. Slash Coach McCartan. Hey, and we're back. 60 Minute Overtime, Fall 2018, Episode 2. Today's October 28, 2018. I'm your hostess, Danielle McCartan. Today's guests, which are pre-recorded, you're going to hear from my uh, my experience with Jeff Wilpon, and who was the COO of the New York Mets, and my experience with Mickey Calloway, who was the manager of the New York Mets. I got my Mets t-shirt on here for those of you guys watching on Periscope, those of you guys watching on on Facebook, and I'm just trying something new today on YouTube going to go live on YouTube right now. Going live. Alright, so I got a lot of Giants stuff for you guys today. Redskins at Giants preview, of course. Some Jets news, then some Jets Bears preview. Mets general manager search looks like it has come to a head. Manny Machado to New York Yankees. They're front runners still, and um, not more good news out of Manny Machado and his let's just say effort that he's putting forth in the World Series. And a little bit of a World Series recap, and uh, that should be it. That t- should take us to about 11 a.m. Eastern time. So for those of you guys who don't know where to find me, at Twitter, at Coach McCartan, uh, YouTube, Coach McCartan, SoundCloud.com, slash Coach McCartan, BlogTalkRadio.com, Danielle McCartan, iTunes Podcast. Once this is all over, I turn it into a podcast so you could take it with you to go. Everything is linked back to my website, ProSportsRundown.com. So I'd like someone to call in today. Can we, can we get that? Because when I'm on WFAN, the phone is busy. When I'm here, the phones lay idle. So the phone number is 201-825-1234. Let's start off with some Giants talk today. So the Giants this week, I think, have officially waved the white flag on the 2018 season. Who would have thought it was going to be this bad? They had, coming into the season, a brand new coach. Brand new GM. They had a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. on a healed ankle. They drafted one of the highest graded offensive linemen currently, still, in Will Hernandez. They took the best player in the 2018 draft, Saquon Barkley. They had a huge free agent signing in Patriots' Nate Solder. Sure up, the offensive line. Things were looking up for the New York Giants. Then, one in six happened. And then last week, at the beginning of the week, Eli Apple, their cornerback, was traded to the New Orleans Saints. They got The Giants got a fourth-round pick in 2019 and a seventh-round pick in 2020 for him. Then Damon Snacks Harrison, who is pretty beloved here in New York, first played with the Jets, then with the Giants. He was he, he, First of all, he's currently ranked the seventh-best defensive lineman and the fourth best against the run, not just on the Giants, but in the entire league. He was traded, shipped off to Detroit for only a fifth rounder. So they got more for Eli Apple than they did Snacks Harrison. So Pat Shermer gets on and he says, and this is a quote, he said, we were presented with offers for the two players we traded and we wish Eli and Snacks well. This is a great opportunity for guys we have on the roster for a reason to show us what they can do. We anticipate that they'll play well. So for the 2019 draft, right, the Giants could be looking at a first overall pick. I mean, they're 
tied for last place, basically, with the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. Right now, they have the three worst records in the NFL. So we are not going to go and look into this draft class for next year on this show in October still. That is just not what I'm about. Things change. They might not even come out for the draft. We don't know yet, so I'm not going there. But the Giants are obviously going to need a quarterback. So what I did was I kind of sat back and I thought, the question is, with this offensive lineup, who in drafting Saquon Barkley told the world that they are in win-now mode, right? So with this offensive lineup, want to break in a brand new quarterback? I don't know about that. I would pump the brakes on that. As of right now, today, the Giants will have $32 million in cap room, which is 18th in the NFL out of 30, 32 teams. So, you know, it's about half, you know, half best, right? I don't think the Giants are going to uh, draft a, a rookie quarterback, and if they do, he's going to be a project. Because last year was the historically good draft class. We've heard about that. I have not, like I said, I have not looked at any of these guys yet. I have not watched any film on any of these guys. But let's just say that that they are all projects, at least a year out. Because that's what happens in the NFL. Most of the time when you get drafted, you don't really play that first year. Most of the time. So what I did is I looked up a couple of the free agent quarterbacks for 2019 that the Giants could afford in the Giants' price range. Because Tyrod Taylor, he's going to be too expensive. Josh McCown, he'd be too costly. And I think he'd retire anyway. If not take a a coaching role right out of the gate. Because that's basically what he's doing with Sam Darnold and the Jets right now. How about these names? Let me circulate these. And and I don't know if the Saints are going to hang on to him for next year. As as the same thing. the, The insurance policy to Drew Brees. But what about Teddy Bridgewater? What about Matt Schaub? What about Ryan... Fitzpatrick Fitzmagic in Giants Blue next year for a year or two, two-year deal. So that if they do take the quarterback, they have a year to learn. And these guys have all been around the league. They can give advice, whatever, whatever the case. But they're veterans. So if the Giants could maybe take a Bridgewater or a Fitzpatrick in free agency, don't overpay him. Draft a quarterback. We don't, We st- and by the way, we still don't know what Kyle Lalletta has. I feel like this is the same conversation we were having about this time last year when I kept saying, we don't know what Davis Webb has. And they flubbed that in the sense that they didn't give him game experience. And now we know that no team pretty much wanted him. So maybe he wasn't an NFL quarterback, but we didn't know that. So let's see. Let's see if Kyle Loletta has the things that make him an NFL quarterback. And if not, how about a Teddy Bridgewater? a Matt Schaub, a Ryan Fitzpatrick in Giants Blue for next year while they work on a project of a quarterback coming out of this draft. And then, oh, and then there are murmurings of a trade with the Raiders for Derek Carr. Derek Carr is uh, apparently not very happy in Oakland. He's got some issues with the head coach, Gruden, and I think Derek Carr would be great, except for the fact that he's always injured. So if you're going to go ahead and take Derek Carr and that monstrous contract, it would not be a good look for the Giants at all because the Giants need to rebuild a defense that apparently has been open for sale since the end of the game last week. 
and there are apparently some more players on the move. So the only way I would I would want Derek Carr to be a giant is if the Raiders can afford to eat some of that contract. It's a huge deal. It's one of the biggest deals ever for a quarterback. So if they can eat some of that deal, the Giants can meet them halfway on that. Uh, Derek Carr in Giants blue is not a bad thing. Fitzpatrick was very good in Tampa Bay. And they might even retain him. Who knows? Because they have a, a, a project on their hands with their quarterback, James Winston. We slide this over a little bit more. So that's how I see the Giants going in 2019. Very, very, very preliminarily. That's what I think. Well, we made it through another Halloween without getting eaten. And this year was a close one. Yeah, tell me about it. Ooh, you feel that chill? I don't feel anything. Uh, this can't be good. Made it through another Halloween without getting eaten. Jonathan Hankins from New York Giants. You're listening to 60 Minutes Overtime on 90.3 FM. Trap, trap, trap money. This is obviously Drake, the In My Feelings. So the Giants are, in my opinion, headed, or the Redskins are headed into a trap game. Trap, trap, get it? Against the Giants this week, in my opinion. Because here we are, the Giants at one and, what are they, one and six. And we have the Redskins four and two, division leading Redskins, NFC East. They're coming into MetLife Stadium. The Giants have just had a fire sale of all of the players apparently are for sale on their defense. They traded away Snacks Harrison. They traded away Eli Apple. And I think this is a trap game for the Redskins. Because the Giants are in last place. They are basically playing for, let's just say, nothing except for their jobs. So possibly the Giants are going to be motivated by that. Especially the defense. Because if they don't play well today, they'll probably be gone tomorrow. I'm looking at guys like Janoris Jenkins. Looking at guys like uh, like Alec Ogletree. So o- Odell Beckham Jr. says to the Giants media, we're obviously not where we want to be, but this is where we're at, and we have nine games left to do something about it. Okay, so say the Giants do do something about it. What are their keys to victory today? Well, number one, red zone scoring. So I thought of it as like a doctor, right? So the Giants, you're looking at the symptoms here. They can't score yet. They had three consecutive 400-yard games, first time since 2011. They had three 50-yard passes last week, first time since 1990. So if you have your doctor's coat on, what's the issue here? Well, the issue is they can't punch the ball in the end zone. Pat Shermer said in five trips to the red zone, they only scored two touchdowns. If you do the math... And you get them all in, that's 35 points, and that's a respectable day at the office, and certainly would have been enough to beat Atlanta last week. The reality of it is we get down there, and now we have to finish the drives better. Well, it seems as though in that, in that Atlanta Falcons game that the Giants have remedied the fact that they're targeting their third-string tight end in red zone situation, Simonson. And they've finally realized that their A-plus players in the red zone are the ones that they need to be going to. However, they did that on a, on a two-point conversion play last week, and Odell Beckham Jr. just dropped the ball. That can't happen. You can't demand the ball, and you can't, you can't drop it. 
but at least they're going there. It was a perfectly designed play. They actually had two receivers open on that one. They had Odell Beckham Jr. on the one side and Sterling Shepard on the other. So the play call was perfect, and I've been tough on the play call ever you know for the past since the beginning of the season. The play calling I thought was has been atrocious, but they had the right call. They executed it, and they just could not hold on to the ball. So Odell Beckham Jr. has to be better in that situation. So let's see what that looks like today. Number two, key to victory for the Giants is filling in the gaps of the traded players. You heard just before how valuable Snacks Harrison is to the Giants against the run. And and a surprising stat that I couldn't believe myself, Eli Apple had not allowed a touchdown this season so far, yet he was targeted every uh, on average every 5.8 snaps. That's pretty good. Surprising. You know, so let's see how these guys fill in here. So who's the next man up? Well, to take Eli Apple's spot, I'm expecting B.W. Webb. He had some favorable headlines throughout training camp, and he had some limited play this year already in 2018. He's posted 15 solo tackles, 18 combined, 3 assisted, and he had a sack last week. He dropped Matt, uh, Matt Ryan behind the line. So, in terms of Harrison's replacements, we have Dalvin Tomlinson and B.J. Hill. Shermer says they're good, two good young players, and you add John Jenkins to the mix. I think these guys are, have done good work to this point. I think the front has been pretty solid in a lot of areas, but Dalvin will now play probably more of a nose to replace where Snacks was. That's sort of its natural position. I like when guys play their natural position, so I think that Dalvin Tomlinson is going to be a guy to watch this week. He, you know, You've seen his name. And for good reason. So look at that. They have one, two, three guys in the mix to replace one guy. So if you, if the Giants have, have waved the white flag. That's for sure. So, hey, Warrior class, you have not been on here in a very long time on Periscope right now. So, hi. What's up? Good to see you. Pivotal week in the NFL. That's right. We're talking Giants-Redskins right now. And it, guys want to weigh in on it? It's 201-825-1234. And the final thing that the Giants need to do to win this game today is to withstand the pass rush because we know that these statistics keep mounting as the Giants try to solve their offensive line issues. They've had, I think it's six combinations now in eight weeks of different guys in different spots. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube for them right now. I feel it's like they keep trying to get the right combination and they just keep spinning the wheels and eventually it might work. Maybe. Eli Manning... Imagine this, right? You you have the helmet on. You have a defense in front of you, an offense that you need to run. From snap to it's in your hands to you take two steps backwards and you're sacked. Jo- uh, Eli Manning is sacked in less than 2.5 seconds in a league leaning 12 times this season. That's five times more than the next quarterback on that list. So you could say Eli Manning's as bad as he is, and and he is. He is part of the problem. But when you have 2.5 seconds to get snap the ball, take a step back, and throw it to an open receiver, come on, 40-yard dashes times a great one is, is 4.3 seconds, let's just say. That's a great time. Let's, let's round it off, 4.4 seconds, 40 yards. So you take that in half, 20-yard dash, should be 2.2 seconds for an absolute outstanding receiver. Not everybody runs a 4-4. For a 40-yard dash. So what I'm trying to say is there's no time for these receivers to get open before Eli Manning is sacked to the ground. So that is an issue. 
The Giants are allowing pressure on Eli 33% of his past attempts. That's the fourth most in the NFL. And they have the second lowest graded pass blocking unit in the entire NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. And there's more bad news for the Giants because Eli Manning has had an illustrious career. We know about that. It's talked about every single day. But there is one guy that has sacked him more than any other guy in the NFL. And he's lining up opposite him today. Redskins Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan Kerrigan has sacked Eli Manning more times in his career than any other defender. So those are the three keys to victory for the Giants for me. Number one, let's review it. Number one, red zone scoring. Punch the ball in finally. Let's get down there and let's do it. Fill in the gaps of the traded players. Let's see what you can do. You're playing for a job too, you know. The, the fill-ins. And withstand the pass rush. Because Ryan Kerrigan is a beast when it comes to Eli Manning. He he eats number 10 Wheaties for breakfast. He, he I heard he tie-dyes them blue before he eats them. No, I'm just kidding. Keys to a Redskins victory. Number one is going to be bury the Giants early. Because the Redskins... Let's, let's see if I can... There's a lot of numbers coming at you right now. But the Redskins are the exact opposite of the Giants. The Giants don't put up many points in general. Let's not be kidding here. But the second half points that the Giants put on, 12 average, they averaged 12 points in the second half. Far outweigh their eight that they put up in the first. But the Redskins numbers are the exact opposite. Because while Washington dominates the first half, which is basically 15 points on average in the first half, they fall off in the second half, six points averaging. So to secure this win, the Redskins must have an absolute fast start and make sure they can control the clock and dictate the pace of play in the second half. Because Eli Manning and the Giants, for some reason in the fourth quarter, seem to have a surgeon every single week. And I'm wondering if... Because if, I haven't been to practice since, um, since August, July or August. So I'm wondering that... Maybe the the approach at practice is a little bit too lackadaisical. Maybe they should be practicing that. I'd like I'd love to see the Giants what they can do on a no huddle offense. Because that creates a mismatch on the defense if you know they can't switch out their personnel and you're under center ready to snap the next ball. It's either going to force them to take a timeout or play with the wrong personnel on the field. Imagine Odell Beckham Jr. lined up one on one with a linebacker. So maybe that's something the Giants should start to explore. A faster-paced offense. Because it's working for them in the fourth quarter in the second half, clearly. Why not sustain it throughout, you know, more of the game? I'm not saying most, all of the game. What about just more of it? Like I said, you force another team to burn a timeout if their wrong personnel is on the field. And if they don't burn the timeout, you can find the mismatch. And Eli Manning's pretty good at that, at the line of scrimmage, believe it or not. Next thing that the Redskins need to do is to force the Giants to throw the ball. Why do I say that? We know what Saquon Barkley can do. We've seen it. Barkley leads the league in 50-5-0 broken tackles. And Washington's only allowed 10 broken tackles this year. So if what they can do, if Washington can, can wrap up Saquon Barkley, hit him behind the line, knock him off his route, stop him behind the line of scrimmage, blast through him, when he tries to throw a block for Manning, which he got blasted last week, if you saw. The more they can do that, the better for them. Because what I outlined above, 2.5 seconds from snap to catch, is nearly impossible. 
So if they can take Saquon Barkley, not out of the game, because you're never going to take a guy like that out of a game, if you can limit him in the game, well, then, there you go. Force Eli Manning to throw the ball and good things happen. And the most alarming thing, well, another thing that the Redskins need to capitalize on is to force the Giants into third and long situations. Because third and long is going to sound like music to the Redskins' ear today. And the Giants are going to be hearing hell's bells. Because in 2018, the Giants roughly convert about, you know, 70% of their first downs that are uh, on third downs that are less than five yards, between one and five yards. They convert 70% of the time on third down. But when that goes up between six and ten yards, which is a third and long situation, it's 25% of the time. 25% of the time the Giants convert between 6 and 10 yards and 3rd down. That's awful. In my line of work, that's not even an F. That's an X. That's the dreaded X. <laughs> hey, Brian Martin's checking me out on Facebook. Let him know, Coach. Brian Martin does a lot of work with Snacks Harrison, I, so I'd be curious to see um, what he thinks of the trade, Brian. So the bottom line for the Giants is this. If the Giants don't allow the Redskins to bury them by halftime, they do have a chance to win this game. I started this segment with Drake, trap, 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 right? Because for New York, all they need to do, they they figured it out, I think, in the red zone. They just need their big-time players to make big-time plays. If they can do that, this is a quintessential trap game. The Giants defenders are going to be playing for their jobs. And the offensive side of the ball, let's be honest, it's full of egos. They're trying to keep their egos intact. You got guys like Sterling Shepard. You got guys like Odell Beckham Jr. They need to keep their egos where they need to be. You know what I mean? So couple that with the fact that the Redskins' hot start every game cools off by halftime. And the Giants are a fourth-quarter team. I'm, uh, I'm going Giants in this game. And I think the final score is going to be Giants 21, Redskins 17. Time to lock that in. It's Halloween night and trick-or-treaters are near. Did you stock up on Butterfinger this year? Give them their crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery treat. No tricks, just Butterfinger. I'm Jamal Adams, safety of New York Jets. You are listening to Daniel McCartney on 60-Minute Overtime. Meanwhile, while the Giants are dominating headlines, the New York Jets are putting together a surprisingly better-than-expected season. And I picked this song on purpose. This makes me laugh because the Foo Fighters, times like these, to learn to love again. Well, Jets fans, aren't you beginning to learn to love your team again? Come on. It's better than expected for the Jets. I mean, they weren't expected to win many games this season. I think they, what is it, three? They've won three so far? So my question to Giants fans, and, and it's every time I turn on the radio, all I hear is, oh my God, the Giants should have selected a quarterback in the quarterback draft. They should not have selected Saquon Barkley. I'm tired of hearing it. Because let me, let me ask a question to you guys. 
Giants fans listening, watching, streaming, would you be happy with a quarterback that has 10 interceptions and 10 touchdown passes? Because that's what Sam Darnold's sitting at right now. The Giants were in win-now mode in the draft, during the draft, in April. And if you're sitting with a quarterback that has 10 and 10, you would not be happy. Don't even kid yourselves. Don't be happy. Because you, you wouldn't. You'd be complaining that Sam Darnold isn't, isn't, you know, he's not the guy that they said he was coming out of the draft. I mean, come on. So enough of this. The Giants should have drafted a quarterback. And, and, and everybody's pointed to Darnold as the guy that should have been for the Giants. Well, guess what? He, he's sitting at 10 interceptions and 10 touchdown passes. Giants fans, I know you. You would not be happy with that. That would not be sufficient for you. The Jets, though, are in a quintessential, I like that word, rebuilding period. So 10 interceptions and 10 touchdown passes for a guy, a rookie, that has basically no help around him, that's pretty good. And they do have a lot more patience, the Jets. So the Jets are in Chicago to take on the Bears, also at 1 p.m. today. I hate when they do that. I hate when they put the Giants on at 1 and the Jets on at 1, and you have to like pick your primary game that you're going to watch and then on a commercial switch. So you have to be like actively watching TV for the entire 1 p.m. games, like like flipping on, on the ball. Like, come on, I hate that. Because I, I don't do that red zone stuff. I don't like that. I like watching the game from beginning to end. And also the Rangers are on at 3.30 today. So what the heck? There's a couple storylines coming out of the Jets-Bears game today. This is at nauseum, but I'll say it again. Matt Nagy, Nagy who's the, the head coach of the Bears, his dad coached Todd Bowles in high school in Elizabeth, New Jersey. So there's lots of familiarity there. Khalil Mack, the second storyline, could have been a Jet. It's coming out this week that the package of the, that the Jets put together for Khalil Mack. Here it is. They were going to offer the Raiders 2019 first rounder, a 2020 second rounder to start. And they were reportedly going to be going up from there. So in essence, the Raiders did get from the Bears that 2019 first rounder, yes. That's what the Jets were going to offer. They also got a sixth rounder in the 2019. And in 2020, they got a first and a third. But they but they gave up Mac and a 2020 second rounder and a 2020 fifth rounder conditionally. So that was a weird sort of deal there, but I think the Jets could have matched that. Matched it or bettered it, in my opinion. They, they got Khalil Mack. But the problem is that he is going to be sort of like a game-time decision. I haven't seen anything, uh, but albeit I, I haven't really checked it because I've been setting up here, but um, apparently he's going to be a game-time decision with his injury. I think it's an ankle injury. And uh, if that if he's in or if he's out, the entire complexion of the game changes with that guy being out. So we're going to have to watch his injury. And if he, even if he does play, is he going to be 100%? Uh, my guess is no, because if you're making a decision on whether or not you're going to play, you know, an hour and a half before the game starts, you're probably not 100%. So I have one Jets key to victory, and the Jets key to victory is avoid the turnover. Like I've outlined at the beginning of this, Darnold has as many turnovers as touchdown passes this season. And unfortunately, the Bears are tied for most in the NFL with 11 interceptions. And that's not even counting fumbles. That's just interceptions. So this is also going to fall on the Jets' offensive line. They need to provide enough protection for Darnold to have enough time to make the right decisions at the right times, to not force the ball. But that's going to be really hard because Ro- uh, Robbie Anderson, wide receiver, Quincy Nunwa, wide receiver, they're out. 
And Darnold isn't even really going to have his number one running back, Bilal Powell, to fall back on because he's out for the season. Season-ending neck surgery. So let's hope that the Jets' offensive line could do uh, a repeat performance of what they did in, in nullifying Von Miller of the Broncos with Khalil Mack if he does play today. Because if if they don't, I mean, it, like I said last week, if you're asking me if I'm taking the Jets' offensive line or the Giants, I would take the Jets, but it's still not good enough. <laughs> That's how bad the Giants' one is. But they they need to do, they need to avoid the turnover. The Jets. That's it. The Bears' key to victory. First of all, the Bears, they're coming off some heartbreak. Did anybody see the replay of that game last week? Heartbreaking loss to the Patriots. Did you see it? If you didn't, Mitchell Trubisky wings a Hail Mary down the field, the last play of the game. The Bears, they catch it in like a, a scrum, you know, in a pile, in a jump ball. And then they're, they catch it at the one-yard line. And then the Patriots' defense kind of comes together and pushes them back you know, backwards, and in essence, they were one yard short of beating the Patriots last week. Time expired. Game over. Game set match. That's a tough way to lose. And I w- I'm wondering if they're going to be extra fire. Warrior class says O lines are a commodity. Maybe the Pats and Packers are the only decent lines today. And the Cowboys. Cowboys have a good one too. Damn Patriots are just a smart team, he says. Yeah, well, they have a smart coach. So the Bears, Mitchell Trubisky, last week versus New England. Two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Trubisky can beat you with his legs. He had 81 rushing yards last week on six carries. And that's against the Patriots, which we know the Patriots' defense isn't what it always used to be. We know that, but it's still good, and they're still a smart team. So the Jets have to watch that. But most concerning for Mitchell Trubisky is his 52% completion percentage downfield. Lots of jump balls, This I'm predicting for today. Deflections for interceptions for the Jets. Jamal Adams, he, he, sh- he needs to have a big day for the Jets today, for this, t- for this to work out. So let's see what he can do today. And I, I didn't really think about this in terms of like a uh, score or anything, but I think... See, here's the thing. If Khalil Mack plays, the Bears win. If Cleo Mack doesn't play, I think the Jets win. That's how pivotal this guy is to this game today. So I think, let's say, if 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 Cleo Mack does play today, I'm going Bears 24, Jets 10. Lock that in. And then if Cleo Mack does not play today, I'm going Bears 21. Jets 24 and lock that one in. Sixteen minutes over time. Hurry up offense with Danielle McCarton. So this week's 60 minute overtime hurry up offense is brought to you by Fan Mug. Fan Mug is a can and bottle cooler, mug and desk caddy in the form of an officially licensed miniature replica of your favorite football team's helmet, NFL or NCAA. Head to FanMug.com to snag yours just in time for the holidays. Every team is available. MLB action. Obviously, the World Series is underway. After being down 4-0 to the Los Angeles Dodgers through six innings and 4-3 through seven, 
Boston Red Sox tied Game 4 of the World Series in the 8th inning, and they never looked back. The Red Sox exploded for five runs in the ninth, and first baseman Steve Pierce was accountable for four of the Sox runs batted in in that game. Up 3-1, to one, the Red Sox could win the World Series champion tonight in Tinseltown. First pitch is slated for 8.15 p.m. on Fox. Over to the NHL, the New Jersey Devils. The 5-2-1 New Jersey Devils outlasted the now 2-4-3 Florida Panthers at the Prudential Center yesterday afternoon. Their next game is Tuesday at the Tampa Bay Lightning. The New York Rangers, the 3-6 New York Rangers, have enjoyed a few days off and are fresh and ready for their contest at the 2-7 LA Kings today at 3.30. This game will be televised on the MSG Network. Moving over to basketball in the NBA, the New York Knicks lost a doozy at the Garden Friday night to the Golden State Warriors, 128-100. As rumors swirl that Kevin Durant might be a Nick by season's end, he scored 41 points in the contest. The Brooklyn Nets. Steph Curry and company bounces from Manhattan to Brooklyn and are set to take on the Nets today at 5. That game can be viewed on the Yes Network. Meanwhile, the Knicks and Nets are set to play each other at the Garden tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. And again, in NFL news, the New York Jets at 3-4 and four are visiting the 3-3 three and three Chicago Bears today at 1 p.m. on CBS. Bears defensive lineman Khalil Mack will test his ankle in pregame warm-ups and then make a decision about his game status shortly thereafter. The New York Giants also at 1 p.m. And the 4-2 and two division-leading Washington Redskins, they made the trip up Route 95 to take on the 1-6 and six Giants at 1 p.m. from MetLife Stadium today. I'm Danielle McCartan with your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. If your Halloween normally starts at the corner of, and uh-oh, we forgot the candy, no need to panic. Just swing by Walgreens for classic Halloween candy, like Snickers bars and Reese's peanut butter cups. We're right around the corner, so you can find whatever you need and get in, out, and back in time for the next Walgreens at the corner of happy and healthy. Right now, snack size candy is only $2.99 with card and coupon. This is Noah Syndergaard, pitcher for the New York Mets. You're listening to 60-Minute Overtime on WRPR. So Mets might have, Mets fans might have a big problem with some trust issues, that's Drake, trust issues, this year. Because it seems as though their general manager is going to be a guy that was an agent. More on that in a minute. But this is my experience with Jeff Wilpon uh, at the, at, during the last game of the season this year. This is what he had to say about the GM search. I think JP, John, and Omar standing in for Sandy when he uh, left. Uh, and not making any trades was actually a, a, a positive for us because a lot of those guys did better in the second half, uh, and that sets up a new GM to be in a, in a good spot. Um, so, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm encouraged. We're going to go through a process with the uh, GM search. Uh, I've gotten a lot of opinions from a lot of people, so it's going to be very broad. Uh, some un- untraditional candidates will be put into the mix. Uh, we'll go through a, a process at first with just John and myself interviewing them. Uh, we're going to start. We have not asked permission on anybody yet. We'll start asking permission next week. Uh, start bringing uh, people in to interview. I think that will show us what's out there and what we what we can expect to whittle down to a smaller group that will go through a more 
uh, detailed interview on, on the second round. So that was that, Jeff Wilpon. So I interpreted, you know, the, the out-of-the-box candidate to be Kim Ng, who was an executive for many years uh, in in baseball operations for many different teams. I thought out-of-the-box because she would be the first woman GM. And I thought she'd be, and, and I know that she'd be the first Asian GM in, I think it's any major sport. So that, to me, means outside-of-the-box. To me, outside the box didn't mean the agent of your star player. And just, we'll get to that in a minute. And if you want to call in and, and, and give me your opinion on this, it's 201-825-1234 because this is Mickey Calloway on whether or not he's going to be back based on what the new GM decides. I'm uh, the manager of the Mets, and I want what's best for the Mets at every, uh, at every point. Um, I felt like I worked as hard as I could every day. And, uh, you know, if they, if they want to make a change and it's better for the Mets, then I'll be on board with it. I mean, that's just the honest truth. I'm going to work my tail off every single day to make this the best organization I can. And, uh, you know, that's all I can do. And, and I'll support this team for the rest of my life because I was part of it. Um, that's just, just how I feel about it because I put a lot of uh, time and effort into these guys. I believe in them. And I believe that they can get something special done. So, as it goes. The creative, the, the company is called Creative Artist Agency. It's one of the biggest agencies uh, for 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 athletes. Okay, so the Mets look like they've have selected Brody Van Wagenen, BVW, as people are calling him. Uh, people are saying that he sounds like he doesn't want to manage. I, I think he doesn't want to put himself out there and saying, "Yes, I want to be back." And force the the GM into a bad situation, and when he if and when maybe if he doesn't come back, he's going to get absolutely slammed in the media here in New York, and uh, maybe not get a job otherwise. So I think it's pretty good that he's kind of just uh, saying what he said. I, I like it because ultimately it, it's not up to him whether he comes back or not. So BVW, as they're calling him now, uh, looks like he's he's got the job over Heim Bloom who is the Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations for the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, if you look at the resumes, Bloom blows him away. I mean, Bloom, he's in Ivy League. He he graduated Yale in 2004, which makes him a young guy. I think he's 35. He he has spent 14 seasons with with the Tampa Bay Rays. He is, is one of those stories. He started in 2005 as an intern right after graduating from Yale. And in 2016, which is what, 11 years later, He's the senior vice president of baseball operations. The guy knows baseball, and the guy knows every level of baseball. So this Brody Van Wagenen, Stanford grad, this guy, first of all, he makes a ton of money as an agent. Last year alone, he made $25 million as an agent and as co-head of the CAA's baseball division. He's got, or he has brokered, 550000 $5.6 million in contracts. Again, he makes $25 million a year. How, how He wants more than that? I, I don't think anybody would want to give that up. And Mike, you're saying the same thing on, on Periscope. That's crazy money is what you said. Right. Why would anybody want to give that up to come here to, to deal with the Mets? I mean... He's going to want more than that. They're going to need to pay him more than that because why would he accept it for less? And how can the Mets, who are always so cheap with their freaking money, how can they scrape together some pennies to pay him? 
I mean, so that's like kind of the first red flag for me about this guy. And and I just I don't know what I, I was look I forgot what I looked up this morning, but I came across this. This is from SNY. And and they're reading a statement from Brody Van Wagen, and this is from uh, I think it's February of this year to be put through the ringer. Honestly, he's just going to be a scapegoat. What if it's a fan? Yeah. And, and the problem is that people, you know, the Wilpons are in charge, so you need to get somebody that that's, that's going to be able to work with that, which is a problem because most of every saying, most of the younger candidates, the you know they they they're scared off by that because they want full autonomy. And if I'm in charge of a team, I would want full autonomy too. This is the guys on SNY are breaking down a statement from Brody Van Wagenen, which absolutely almost knocked me off my chair this morning. Listen to this. This is them reading a quote from him. This is not his voice, but this is uh, a statement he put out. Uh, Here's what he said. The behavior of owners in this year's free agent market has changed dramatically. It feels coordinated, rightly or wrongly. Many club presidents and general managers with whom we negotiated with are frustrated with the lack of funds to sign the plethora of good players still available, raising further suspicion of institutional influence over the spending. Bottom line, the players are upset. No, they are outraged. Players in the midst of long-term contracts are as frustrated as those still seeking employment. Their voices are getting louder, and they are uniting in a way not seen since 1994. There is a rising tide among players for radical change. A fight is brewing, and it may begin with one, maybe two, and perhaps 1,200 willing to follow. A boycott of spring training may be a starting point. That's key if behavior doesn't change. Sign them, play them, celebrate them, and then sit back and let them entertain us the way they have more than 100 years. Uh, what? This guy is calling for a a strike? A boycott of spring training? He's using the words, a fight is brewing? Radical change? Oh my God, did the Wilpon see this? He's calling for a boycott. This is Brody Van Wagenen, the agent, head of CAA, threatening a strike eight months ago. Did the Wilpon see this? Did they ask him about this? Because w- what? There's, uh, I don't even know how to how to how to how to even break this down. This guy is threatening a strike, a boycott of spring training, and now you want him to be in charge of your day-to-day operations of the New York Mets? Are you joking me? Is that a joke? This whole thing to me. Mike is saying probably the best thing for the Mets since every player gets hurt in the spring training for them. Okay, that's just a joke. This whole thing reeks of conflict of interest to me. Van Wagenen has 19 clients, including current Mets, Ioannis Cespedes, who hasn't seen the field in years, seemingly. Jacob deGrom, who's set to be a free agent, I think it's at the end of the 2020 season. Brandon Nemo, who... He's going to be looking for a new contract soon, too, as one of the best players on the Mets. And I've talked about him last week. I made a case for him for an all-star game when I was on WFAN over the summer. Todd Frazier is also his client. He's negotiated deals and shared information with Syndergaard, Jason Vargas. And don't forget that Tim Tebow, who's in the Mets farm system. Remember Tim Tebow, the football player, is now a baseball player? He's also a CAA client, CAA, whatever they're calling it, client. 
Watch how fast Tim Tebow will move through the ranks and sign a big contract with Van Wagenen in charge. You watch. Kickbacks. This this is this is this uh, it is just dirty. This reeks. Van Wagenen is also going to face the challenge of negotiating with agents who have become his adversaries over the years. Imagine him sitting down with Scott Boris. Meanwhile, it's dog-eat-dog in the agent world. Imagine him having to sit down with Scott Boris and, and negotiate a fair and honest deal. People don't forget how you treated them in the past. And it's not going to change now that you're wearing a GM cap. Scott Boris told the New York Post earlier in the week that it's a conflict of interest for an agent to switch sides and join a front office. Boris said that he received multiple opportunities to run organizations over the years, but each time he declined out of respect to his clients. And for once, I actually agree with Scott Boris and his comments. Because he went on the Michael K show, and he said that the players have reason to be concerned. And he said on, on the Michael K show earlier in the week, when you're fluid and you're going from agency to management, the fact of the matter is, how does a player know that you won't make that change at any time? Why would, he, why would he tell you the most intimate things in the world knowing that you're going to be negotiating against him? And another thing, it seems as though Van Wagenen is going to keep John Rico, Omar Minaya, and J.P. Ricciardi on board. So there you go. It's going to be a bunch of the same old for the Mets this year, in my opinion. They needed a complete clean house. And they had Heim Bloom. How do you let Heim Bloom slip through your fingers? How do you allow that? The guy is more qualified than anything. And it's, I, I kind of feel bad for him. But a way, good. Because eventually where he's going to go, he's, he's going to have autonomy of his own team. And, and Van Wagenen released... The, the Mets gave the opportunity for the three candidates, the finalists, to, to release a statement or talk to the media via... Uh, uh, what's that called? A, a conference call. But Van Wagenen released a statement instead of talking to the reporters when given the chance because he cited his current role as the reason why he couldn't talk. Having gambled on a Ponzi scheme and losing once before, shouldn't the Mets be going with the sure thing candidate in Bloom rather than a longtime Wilpon golf partner? Oh, they've played golf together. Maybe that was like informal interviews up until this point. They're golf buddies. I've never played golf, and I'm not in the, the private sector. But don't deals get made on the golf course? I think the Mets are making a mistake. They're making a gamble that I don't think it's going to pay off. And uh, they're expected to name him GM pretty much as soon as the World Series concludes. Stay away, Mets. Have a change of heart. I'm going to send some juju over to the Wilpons households, and I'm going to say, change your minds. Change your minds. Heim Bloom's the guy. It's not Brody Van Wagenen. Sorry. When was the last time you were scared out of your wits by a movie? Halloween, the motion picture about the most terrifying night of the year. Halloween, the night three teenage girls discover the real trick is to stay alive. Halloween, the night he came home. From Compass International Pictures, rated R. I don't want to change your mind. I don't have to make you love me. 
Love this because this is my theme song for, for Manny Machado. I don't want to make you love me. I just want to take your time. Because Manny Machado, again, I'm going to continue this story. This is just so what the F for me from last week. I'm just going to continue it. Because this guy is looking for a major, major, major contract. And he tells people he's not Johnny Hustle, Manny Machado. And I ended last week by saying, let's just hope for the sake of everyone that he's not on a New York team next year. And early reports are putting him as the Yan- as the Yankees to be the front runners to land him. So I retweeted that article and I had a, a on on Twitter and I said, "Oh wow, I didn't know Manny Machado could pitch. I, th- I think he's a fine player, fine ball player, but he's got a less than fine work ethic, even in the World Series. When he thought that ball was a home run, and he didn't run, and he ended up with a single." Manny Machado is not a pitcher, though, and the Yankees need a pitcher. That was their problem in the playoffs for the past two seasons. There was no clear-cut starter for the wild card game. There were debates on whether it was going to be Tanaka or Severino or Jay Happ, as I wanted. Everywhere you listened, every station you turned on, every time you scrolled through your Twitter feed, it was people arguing on who was going to start for the wild card playing game for the New York Yankees. And unless Manny Machado. It has picked up a sinker, a curveball, and a and a ninety eight mile an hour fastball over these over the past six days. I don't want him. I don't want him on the Mets, and I don't want him on the Yankees. And the only way I'm somewhat entertained by the fact that either of those two teams picking up Manny Machado is if and only if they plan on flipping him at the trade deadline for a stud pitcher. Otherwise, no, thank you, no, thank you. I can't believe this is still a story. And I can't believe no one, I mean, his agent, his mom, I don't know, has gotten into his ear and said, hey, uh, you know, you're playing for, you know, big league money. You might want to act and have the work ethic, at least for show, of a big league ball player. That guy, we, and I said last week, we talked about cancers in a locker room. Man, I wonder what his teammates think of him. If you're playing on the world stage, in the world series, and you can't even hustle out of the box? What's that going to be like for you in spring training and the other guys in your locker room? What's that going to be like for you, you know, in the cold of New York in, in April, in May? You're not going to hustle. Why would, why would we want you here in New York? Nobody wants you here in New York. Stay away. Stay in L.A. They deal with it there. That's fine. Pace of, pace of life is a lot slower. So, therefore, maybe your pace of play can be a lot slower out there, too, and they'll be okay with that. And finally, last thing up is going to be a World Series wrap-up right after the break. Here's a good Halloween trick. Buy a bunch of Reese's. Uh Uh-huh. There you go. Turn off all the lights in your house. Yeah. Yeah. And then just don't answer the door. I'm sorry, Reese's. Are you ready? Is you ready? Ready. You say you ready. Whole squad ready. Ready. Is you ready? Are you ready? Ready. Is you ready? Yeah, that's Migos with the official MLB postseason anthem. Listen, guys, I told you this last week. The Red Sox will not lose this World Series. I told you a week ago. With three teams in the AL having over 100 wins this season, we knew early on that this World Series winner is going to come from the AL. Whether it be, uh, we didn't know, we didn't know who it was going to be, the Red Sox, the Yankees, or the Astros. 
but the Red Sox prevailed, and we knew the NL didn't have a chance. Come on. Nobody thought the NL teams had a chance. I knew Boston would win the first two at home. I called the Dodgers win on Friday night. And last night, Saturday night, the deeper bench is the one that prevailed. Simple as that. Because that Friday night game ended at 3.30 Eastern time. Who stayed up for that? I'd like to give you a medal myself. Saturday night, again, the deep, the deeper bench prevailed. But to me, it's like the deeper bench, because they had Benintendi on the bench for a while, they, because they, you know, they have to bat the pitcher in the NL. So therefore, they have more weapons on the bench in the AL. I wonder if this is an AL-NL type of thing versus a, rather than a, a Red Sox-Dodgers kind of situation here. Because you have formidable players, starters, sitting on the bench. And obviously the, the team with the deeper bench prevailed over the past two days. Oh, really one day, last night's game. But the Red Sox are just a dominant team. They've been a dominant team throughout this entire season. And like I said, the AL has been dominant throughout this entire season. So uh, although, I, I, I mean, I would like, I always like when teams win on their, their home court, their home field, when they win the big one. I think the Red Sox are going to be celebrating in uh, in Tinseltown tonight. I think they're going to be going out on the town in L.A. tonight because the Red Sox are going to win the World Series tonight on Sunday Night Baseball. Red Sox in five. And uh, Pat Vecchio, he, uh, he asked me last week what I thought about, you know, how how many games this was going to go. last This time last week, he asked me. I said, Red Sox in five. Guess what? The Red Sox are ready to win it tonight in five, as I told you guys all last Sunday. So it's almost game time for Giants and Jets. I'm going to hop on out of here and, uh, and and make sure I have my fresh batteries in my TV remote because this is going to be a flip, flip, flip sort of game today. And uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you like the previews. Um, and I uh, hope you liked it enough to follow me on any of my in my social medias at Coach McCartan on Twitter, YouTube, Coach McCartan. You'll find some great stuff there. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. This will be an iTunes podcast within probably two hours. Um, tune in radio. If you got play.google.com, it's all there. And everything links back to my site, prosportsrundown.com. See you guys next Sunday. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks for listening and watching on Periscope, on Facebook, and on YouTube live. Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.